0: Well, to echo what Will mentioned a moment ago, happy Mother's Day to all of those that uh, that greeting applies to. Mother's Day really is one of these days where, in a community like this, especially, the full range of emotions really are. Uh, The the full range is actually present uh, in a room like this in a community. In fact, if you're anything like me, you you could have all those emotions and the full range just within your own heart as I experienced myself last night, both in appreciating uh, God's gift to me and the mother to my children and and then remembering and missing my own mom in a way that was a little bit surprising to me last night. And so um, in in this community alone, when it comes to the mom's uh, day and and Mother's Day and the issues that could spring up in your heart and mind, I just want to speak to those a little bit just to say that we're in this with you. This is a place for you regardless. So many of you in this room that that were fortunate enough and favored enough, I guess, to have uh, incredible moms while you are growing up, hopefully on into your adulthood. I know that the emotions, hopefully, they're coming from your heart this morning are deep appreciation and gratitude. I, I know others of us in this room, we lost our moms way before we wished we would have. I know there are some of you in this room, this is the first Mother's Day since your mom passed away. I just want you to know that we're in that with you. Um, Even those of us that are able to have our mom still present, we are in that moment with you. I also know that there's the pain, the emotional pain for you ladies in the room who have this deep desire to become a mom and you haven't had that answered by God yet for whatever reason. I know others of you are pregnant for the very first time on Mother's Day, and that's super exciting. Uh, Husband, if you're wondering, do you get them a gift when they haven't had the baby? Yet, guys, the answer is absolutely. All right. So just uh, you've still got a few hours. Target's open if you need to leave her right here while you go down the street. You've got about 40 minutes. So um, I know others of you are moms for the first time. You've actually brought a little human being out into the world. And today's the first day for you uh, as a mother on Mother's Day. And so wherever you're at in that, I want you to know, um, embrace those feelings. For some of us, it's mourning and sadness and gladness all at the same time, but but embrace that. But what I really want you to know is that I value you, every one of you girls and women in the room, however you wish to classify yourself in those two categories. You are valued by myself. Our church values you. And more than that, Jesus himself values you immensely more than you could imagine. You are loved. Um, He wants good for you. He created you intricately. He put your DNA into you and made you a woman. And so I want you to know that he values you deeply. And what we want to do as men in the room, we want to have a seat and let you stand. And we just want to let you know how much we value you and appreciate you. So girls and ladies of all ages, stand up and let us let you feel some love from the men in this room. All ladies, in case you're wondering. Any females in the room? Two years old? Every girl. Come on. You may be seated or you can stand the rest of the time if you so choose to. You're valued. We want you to know that. And today's message for, for you moms, it's a crucial message, but it's not just a crucial message for the moms in the room. It's a crucial message for every one of us, uh, whatever your situation is in life. It's a crucial message because of, of the century in which we live. It's a crucial message because of the reality that we are here in San Francisco, and that brings a whole new spin to this talk that I'm going to give you through the life of Moses. So I want to jump right into the passage for today. I don't think I've ever said this in the three years that I've been teaching, um, although I've thought it, it. This is really one of those note-taking messages, Uh, and not because of what I have to give you. I believe uh, what God is saying to us in this message this morning and and what I've learned from a pastor, mentor from afar, um, some great applications for what we're going to talk about today. So if you're not normally a note-taker, let me just encourage you. This is one of those, when I typically memorize a talk, I throw my notes away. I keep it on my computer, but I throw my notes away. For me, this is one of those, I'm keeping these, uh, the set of notes around because uh, I need to learn and relearn and be reminded of everything we're talking about. About today, So if you have a Bible, we're still in Moses' story, chapter 31 of Exodus this morning. If you need a Bible to follow along, lift a hand up, and our volunteers will get one into your hands, and we'll give you a page number and all of that. So just keep those hands up. Exodus 31, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. Uh, we're on page 47 for those of you that have one of the Bibles that, uh, that are being handed out at this moment. Uh, the rest of us, Exodus chapter 31, we'll start in verse 12. I just want to remind you that if you're able to call your mom, do so before uh, too much later in the day. Let me just give you that advice, just subtle advice. Um, Exodus 31, 12 through 17, would you all stand with me as we read this crucial text together? We're, uh, some of you, I know, are thinking uh, that this series on Moses is never going to end. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking about that myself. Uh, we, we're in part seven of, of ten parts. Obviously, we took a break for the next initiative, and we will wrap this series up. For those of you that love to kind of know where we're headed, we will wrap Moses up uh, June the 1st. And then on June the 8th, we'll begin a summer-long series out of the Gospels called Follow Me. So that, that's where we're headed. Uh, here we are, Exodus 31, 12 through 17. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord." Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. You may be seated. You can tell already it's one of those messages you either really need to lean into or really start getting distracted with other things, right? This is for all of us. It is no accident that this text and passage on Sabbath-keeping occurs exactly where it does in the Scriptures. At first glance, we might think that, okay, some of this, this is like some of the other stuff in the Bible. This is for people who lived thousands of years ago, but there's no way that God expects, expects any of this to be true in our lives. I mean, these people didn't have electricity, so they couldn't work. They didn't have technology, so they couldn't work, and they didn't have to work as much as we did. They were probably lazy and weren't producing things. But what I want to let you know is this, so that you understand how this fits and what the similarities are for the culture being written into here and for our culture, right? Right now in San Francisco, yes, even God knows where this is, 2014, here's the similarities. God gives them this piece on this, this mandate for observing the Sabbath. God lays this out for the Israelites and Moses right in the midst of a lot of commands, really exquisite instructions regarding how they should work. We're not going to look at 16 chapters today. I know you're glad for that. But Exodus chapters 25 through 40 really comprise God speaking to Moses and the Israelites on constructing or making or building a tabernacle, a place where his presence would dwell as they go throughout their journey from Egypt and now into eventually the promised land. Okay? And so if you're thinking, well, man... I don't know that the Bible writers know anything about what my work schedule and what our cultural expectations are in 2014. God gives them 16 chapters about work, okay? But right in the midst of all of this, do this and do that, hey, let me tell you some of the things. Here's, um, here's one of the uh, uh, places where this begins in chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. You'll see it on the screen. In 25 verses 8 and 9, here's what God says to Moses as this is this tabernacle piece just starts to begin. He says that and let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So God's wanting to dwell. He's going to right now as New Testament Christians, as followers of Jesus, God dwells in our hearts through His Holy Spirit. But in this day and time, God dwelt in this tabernacle. He was ask, asking them to construct. He said exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle, tabernacle and all of its furniture. So you shall make it and here's some of the things god lets us know right off the bat he cares deeply about our work he cares deeply about excellence isn't it infuriating that when someone musically or in the entertainment industry or when it comes to art um they they make a product that's less than stellar but because it's christian they feel like they can get away with it being a piece of junk you ever seen this like oh it's okay ben listen to the lyrics Listen, I think God likes good music. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think He likes good entertainment. Christian, you know, it's great that it's Christian, but it needs to be good. Why would we give God a bad name by putting terrible stuff out there? All right, pet peeve, over. Back with you. Like, oh, it's Christian, Ben. Um, God cares deeply about work. He cares deeply about excellence. When it came to the details God prescribed in them building the tabernacle, I mean, um, they are insanely intricate details. God would say, you need to use this particular kind of wood on this, and you need to use gold for that thing, and you need to use this color, and, and the curtains should be made out of this particular wool, and then, and then you need to make uh, like garments, I think undergarments, for the priests to wear. Like you need to make those as part of this tabernacle deal. And right before this part on Sabbath keeping, God says something really cool for all of you art graphic people out there illustrators whatever he says this he says Moses I want you to know I've given two particular individuals the gift of artistic ability so that they might make designs when it comes to the tabernacle isn't that cool? Like, you know what? Yeah, somebody could actually design something before, you know, AutoCAD and before Illustrator. And, and so God puts this skill into their mind and into their heart and into their hands so they're able, actually able to do it. And then God says, okay, I want you to do all this work. And he just stops in the middle. And he says, but above all, you would think if he says above all, he would say, above all, make sure the foundation's secure. Above all, make sure to use this particular kind of yarn, right? But he says, above all, keep the Sabbath. Above everything else, keep the Sabbath. Now, God um, has cared about our work since the very beginning of time. Uh, Do you know what he asked Adam to do and what he told Adam to do shortly after he created him? Come come Guess, just guess. We're talking about, he he told him to work. He told him to work. Genesis 2.15 says it this way. The Lord placed the man in the garden to work it and to keep it. So those of you that hate work, this is where it all began. He creates this man Adam, puts him in the garden, and has him work it. So... What I'm trying to make a case for before I go the other direction in my case, I'm trying to make a case that God cares deeply about our work. God created us to do work, and I don't, I'm not simply tying work to a job here, okay? I'm talking about the idea and the action of producing something, of accomplishing something, of actually being actively engaged in doing something, okay? So this is not just for those of you who, or those of us that have jobs. It, it doesn't matter if you're retired, you're a student, you're unemployed, you're a part of uh, volunteer organizations. I just mean this this idea of producing and accomplishing something being active actively engaged in doing something so that's what i'm talking about when when i say work so the question i have is this why would god give this peace on keeping the sabbath and speak so strongly about it in the middle of this massive construction building project when it's coming when it comes to making his dwelling place the tabernacle why would he do this don't miss this part not on the screen but i want you to really listen Here's why God would give them the part on Sabbath keeping right in the midst of this massive project. Because while God cares deeply about our work, he cares even deeper for us. Don't miss this. God cares deeply about the work you and I do. He cares about us being on mission. He cares about us living out the purpose he's given us. Um, some people think that we will be working in eternity, and I, depending on which job you have, may, may make you excited about eternity with God. And may, uh, otherwise, I think it'll be something you enjoy. There's no pain, no tears. So uh, some of you are like, it won't be my job I have now, um, right, if there's no pain and no tears. Uh, so this idea of work. But here's why. Here's why God gives them the Sabbath keeping part right in the midst of this is because he wants them to know that they're more important than what they produce, that who they are is actually more important than what they do. He wants them to know that that this is for their good. This is for the, their remembrance that that, that God cares that he talks about the covenant relationship he has with his people and Sabbath keeping reminds them of who's in charge of who is keeping the universe going. And so God in, injects the Sabbath into our humanity for our own souls, for our our well-being for our reminding and understanding that he 's the one who's keeping this thing in motion and we aren't and it's okay it's what he's after here you saw what he says to moses again above all verse 12 above all keep the sabbath whatever you do make sure that you keep the sabbath above all Because he wants them to know that this is the way that I sanctify you. This is the way we relate to each other. And it's that great reminder of who I am, God, and who you are, not God, but loved by God. And not asked to produce things for God so that you might get an identity before God. But he has handed them an identity and they work out of that identity. Some of us are working to accomplish an identity for ourselves. Let me ask you this question. Does your identity ultimately come from your work, what you can produce or accomplish? Does your identity ultimately come from your work? And you may think you know the answer to that, but don't dismiss this question just yet. Does your identity come from your work, what you can produce or what you can accomplish? The reason this question is so crucial is here. You and I and the other billions of people on planet Earth right now, every single one of us worship whatever or whomever we receive our identity from. Okay, we make ultimate in our lives, whomever or whatever, if it's a relationship, we can say we worship God, but if the relationships, the thing that's deriving our main identity, that's that's actually what our God is. If it's work in this particular case, then that's what our identity is. We worship whoever or whatever it is that gives us our identity, our sense of who we are at the core level. And if you don't think it's possible for your work to give that to you, I've got a couple of questions for us. Then why can't we ever set it down? And why can't we ever walk away from it? And why is it always about more, not enough, more, not enough, keep going and keep doing and keep producing? And I just want to be honest with you, I get a little bit passionate about the things that I talk about that I struggle with immensely. Why can't I quit thinking about the church for a moment when it's my off day? Oh, because I'm holding it up. If I don't, who will? Right? Now imagine with me how tempting it would have been for the Israelites to work through the weekend. Okay, just think about this. I know your work is really important, like you're holding the universe together. They are creating, they are building, they're building a dwelling place for the Lord God Almighty. I mean, if anyone had an excuse to work through the weekend, right, it would be these guys. Like, we're building something so important. You talk about looking for your boss's approval? Like, oh my gosh. I mean, if you, if you go one centimeter too long on a curtain, whoo, but here's what's crazy. Maybe this is what we need. God makes this a life or death thing for them. Maybe that's what some of us need. Maybe the one thing that would get us to set our work down mentally and physically, right, is if we knew the alternative was death. <laughs> and, and yet we think our thing is so important. Let me just remind you and remind myself, you are not holding the world up. You're not even holding your company up, even if you're its only employee. Moms and dads, you are not ultimately holding your family up. Leaders in this church, we are not ultimately holding this church up. Really? You can handle that? We can handle that? But we will refuse to practice the Sabbath as long as we think we're holding anything up on our own. Because here's what's reality, and this is what we, the lie we buy into. If I am holding it up, I can't take time off. If I am holding this church up, I cannot, as your pastor, quit thinking about it for a moment. I cannot go to sleep easily at night because I'm holding But I'm not, and you aren't either. We are not holding this thing up. It is not the thing that God has given to us. And so he talks about this life or death thing. In fact, he says anyone who doesn't observe the Sabbath to put them to death. Now, before you start texting, like, goodbye notes to your parents because you th- you're feeling guilty about not doing the Sabbath thing, let me just say this. Rest easy for a moment, just for a moment. We are not still under this law instead set of consequences, obviously, right? Right? I mean, I'm, the Sabbath is my work day, right? I mean... <laughs> But what happens is we're tempted to throw away the entire practice of Sabbath simply because we're not under the same law as the Israelites were in this moment. We know that we're not under the law. One reason is, didn't Jesus do some of his best work on the Sabbath? That went over real well with the religious leaders, didn't it? That's partly why they wanted to kill him. We know that he did some of his best work on the Sabbath. But let's not forget what he said. Let's not forget. Remember he said this. He said said that man was not made for the Sabbath. Right? So, not under that law anymore. But what did he say? The Sabbath was made for man. So, may we not throw away the practice and the rhythm of Sabbath if the Lord has built it into the DNA of our very uh, sense of being human. And while it may not be a physical life and death thing for us, it may be a life and death thing for us. And the question we seem to ask ourselves is, Why? Why does God want this force and why can't we abide by it? In verse 17, it says that in, you know, six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth. He's a little more productive than you. Don't feel guilty. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Begs the question, right? Why did he rest? I, I mean, did God wear out? Did he get exhausted? Did his five-hour energy drink wear off? I mean, what, what's his deal? Well, we know in the scriptures that it says that God doesn't wear out. He doesn't get exhausted. He does not need sleep. He does not slumber. So why in the world is he resting? And what is this piece about him being refreshed? When God would make something, he would say that it is very good. Good. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York that our church has learned a lot from over the last few years, and myself personally, at a a distance at least, he says that the the idea of God resting here is that after God created and produced these particular things, he was so utterly satisfied with his work that he could set it down and walk away from it. For many of us, that's a foreign feeling. Because we've never done enough. Somebody's going to out-hustle us if we don't stay on it, right? Right? But he says that God is so utterly satisfied with what he created that he actually could could be satisfied enough to walk away and just go, all right, I don't have to keep going after this thing every day. So he rested and he was refreshed. Keller says there are four primary reasons in our day and time. He's a pastor in New York City, so a lot of things apply that would apply in San Francisco. He says there are four primary reasons why we struggle with the practice of Sabbath keeping. And I think these are some good notes. Again, I say that because they're his, not mine. First reason reason we struggle is that jobs are insecure. We know if we don't stay after it all the time that someone else will outwork us, and when they outwork us, they will get the promotion, we will get the pink slip. Jobs are insecure. Second reason, he says, is that people that are making huge amounts of money these days feel like they have to work more hours. So if you're getting a decent salary or better than a decent salary, you feel like you have to justify it by killing it, even if it costs you your very marriage or if it costs you your ability to be present with your family or with your friends. So jobs are insecure. We feel like we have to justify the salaries that we're making. And the third one, which is a huge one for all of us, I'm guessing, uh, technology. Technology. Technology has afforded us the opportunity to work anywhere, which means that we work everywhere. Everywhere. Some of you in France came out with their law over the last few weeks, you thought, man, I would love it if that were true. My boss couldn't depend on me to check email after six o'clock. I think some of you would really enjoy it and others of you just think you would enjoy it. Because if you get your identity from more and from production, it would just, uh, it would kill you. Why? Because if you can get a little more done, you go to sleep with a little more satisfaction, and then the race starts again the next day, and it never ends. It never ends. Technology, because we can be on anywhere. We end up being on everywhere, and let's be honest, it's not, it's not a we-don't-know-where-the-power-button-is issue, is it? I get it. What if somebody at church has an emergency, Sean? I can't put my phone down. What if there's a conversation that really needs to happen? I, I, mean, I got to be on, because I'm holding this thing up. Technology. The, the fourth one that he speaks So he speaks that jobs are insecure. He talks about the idea that we've got to justify the amount of money that we're making. He talks about technology. And the fourth one, which we've already hit on, is identity. For centuries, human beings derived their sense of identity from the families that they were part of. That's no longer true primarily. Primarily now, we derive our sense of identity and who we are by what we accomplish, how we work, what we can achieve, what we can prove. And so he says those, those four things really Uh, those, those things really get us in trouble. But a question we need to ask is, what are we after really? Why can't we set it down ever? Why can't we walk away from what we're producing and working towards and accomplishing? What are we really after? And another way to ask this question is this, who are we trying to prove ourselves to really? Some of you are convincing yourself and people in your life that the boss is making you do it. And for some of you, you have that boss right now others of you that just isn't true you do it because you've got something to prove to yourself maybe maybe to your colleagues or your boss or even to your family who are we trying to prove ourselves to really and then hear this from me you don't matter as much to your company or industry as you think you do you matter much more to god than you think you do like ben how do you know how much i matter the company you work for, they are going to go on in your stead. It may not be as good as you when you were there. I get that. But they're going to go on. And I'm not saying you don't matter to them. You just don't matter as much as you think you do. But we matter much more to God than most of us think that we do. So how do we practice this idea of Sabbath? Okay, if we want to do it, like, okay, here, here the what. You've been exposed to the need for it. How do we practice it? Again, Tim Keller gives us some, some great thoughts here. He gives us a couple of internal disciplines and then about four external disciplines. The first internal discipline he mentions is, is celebrating this act of liberation. In Deuteronomy 15, God tells the Israelites there to observe the Sabbath because he wants them to commemorate and celebrate and remember that he had freed them from their, slave, from their slavery. You know how many days a week slaves worked back then? You know how many vacation days they got slaves? This is a practice for 400 years. I know it's been a long time since you've had a vacation, but but he says, even though we aren't slaves in Egypt, we make ourselves slaves when it comes to this work rest balance. Some of us are slaves to our own need for approval. Some of us are slaves to our culture's expectations. And some of us, Uh, are slaves to the very companies that we work for. It's true. So an act of liberation is one internal discipline. Secondly is an act of trust. When you and I practice the Sabbath, it's us saying that we think God is God enough to keep the thing going when we're not. That we actually can go a day without thinking about the thing we do. And I get what every one of our internal voices are saying right now, but Ben, you don't know my boss. Ben, you don't know my profession. Ben, you don't know if I don't do it. Listen, all I'm saying is God created us a certain way and we can adhere to it or not. We can compare excuses. We can talk about our responsibilities. We can talk about our season of parenting, what the church asks you to do. We can all go that route. But at the end of the day, you, and you can look in the mirror and say this to yourself, you are the only one who can actually implement this. And when you learn how, teach me. Teach me. So an act of liberation and an act of trust. Here's some external disciplines. First, he says, is take enough time. He says, the question, of course, you would ask is, what's enough time to which he responds more than you're taking now? Take enough time. Number two, he says, balance your Sabbath time. And let's remember, Sabbath isn't about simply disengaging. It's not about more sleep, all right, though that can be a part of it. Um, It's about this, this idea of worship and remembering what our story is in light of our relationship and identity to God himself, So he says, balance your Sabbath time um, is the next thing. So the first thing is to take more time, but then he says to balance your Sabbath time. He gives three categories of ways we can balance our Sabbath time. The first one is contemplative. The next one is avocational. The third one is inactive, contemplative. This is just this piece of worship. It could be reading the scriptures. It could be praising God by writing in your journal what he's done and how he's blessed you and even what he's allowed you to work towards in your, in your vocation or what you're doing in a volunteer capacity. Um, so it's contemplative. And then he talks about avocational. This is the idea of doing something you enjoy that you don't get paid for doing. And this is the one for most of us that we've set, set down. When people ask me my hobbies and I talk about reading leadership books, they're like, Ben, that's not a hobby. (laughs) Okay. Doing something that we don't have to do. Some of us just aren't doing that enough. And some of us need to give ourselves permission. Third, he talks about inactive. And again, it's this worshipful attitude and heart thing going on in our relationship with God in these moments. So when he says inactive, um, he says these are the moments where we allow our minds and our hearts to kind of go towards whatever they're drawn towards. But remember, it started with that kind of worshipful setting, kind of locking into reminding ourselves of our story, that we have an identity from God that isn't given to us based on our work or our production or anything like that. Um, so, so, again, he talks about take enough time, balance your Sabbath time. Uh, the third thing that he says is, is to be accountable for your Sabbath time. Let people around you know that this is when I'm going to take these three hours. This is when I, Now, he also says this accountability, um, we enter unique seasons sometime, right? A new mom certainly isn't going to be able to Sabbath as much as they want to, right, ladies? Ladies? I mean, come on. Um, but you need to, you need to talk to your husband, talk to a friend like, Hey, I'm going to take two hours every Thursday afternoon or evening, and you're going to watch the kids and you're going to like it. All right. I mean, you need to straight up, but remember it's a season. And so some of you, you had, we have good excuse if, as a new mom or even a new dad, not to maybe take Sabbath time in the early days. But when the, listen, y- y- that doesn't last forever. You don't need to get to where the kids like going off to college. And now you finally think you can take a Sabbath. Okay. Um, if you're maybe a physician in residency, obviously you're in a crazy, crazy season, but tell someone who's a fellow believer in Jesus, tell them, you know what? Hey, it's going to be crazy for a while, but once I get these next three years done, don't let me continue on the insanity just because I became used to it. Those of you in the startup culture, right? Um, hey, it's going to be crazy and wild up front, but you let somebody know someone that's not working for that company, by the way. Okay. Somebody, one of us outside of your thing, um, you, you say, hey, on December, such and such year, I, not, not 10 years from now, I want to make you, make me stop the insanity. So be accountable. And the fourth thing he says, to inject Sabbath time into our work. Maybe you can actually take a lunch break without looking at your phone. I mean, I haven't tried it, but I've heard that uh, maybe it actually is possible without paying attention to the, to the blinking light telling us that we have a, another message. So that's, that's huge. I want to ask you a, a question that's pretty shocking but I think I have a good reason to ask it. Here's the question. Does your work commitment keep you from being a disciple of Jesus? Let me ask it again, and then I wanna, I'm going to give you some data that backs up why I think this question is appropriate. Does your work commitment keep you from being a disciple of Jesus? I sit down in one-on-one settings with people, and some people know that this is an issue. And I'll tell you about that in a second. And some people I sit down with, they're describing this warfare thing going on between what choices they have to make, but they don't know that they really have to answer this question. I remember being with a young man a couple of years ago, and he was telling me about, um, in his particular profession, and he literally said this, and I, I think his awareness was spot on, for at least as he understood it. He said, if I keep going up the ranks in my particular field, I don't know that I can be a strong Christian and keep doing it. But others of you have no idea that you're actually making that choice. Do you remember what Jesus said? He was talking about money in Matthew 6, but he said no one can serve two masters. He will love the one and hate the other. He will follow one and, and leave the other. He will be loyal to one and disloyal to the other. Same is true when it comes to your work life. And even in the role that I have where you think, oh man, how could this ever be possible for you? You know, because of my vocation, like many of you, your vocation, like it can actually cost me. If I get identified by being the pastor of this church, it can keep me from my identity of being a follower of Jesus. Like how? Because this just becomes work and not a relationship. Does your work commitment keep you from being a disciple of Jesus? And if it does one day, what choice are you prepared to make? Don't think that it's hypothetical merely. Friend, I want to just plead with you that if that ever becomes the case for you or for me, let's walk away from our jobs. I don't care how many zeros there are after that number that they're offering you in your bonus. I don't care which magazines will write about you and what you will be known for. I hope that for every one of us in this room, we will never find anything in all of life that's worth setting down our relationship to Jesus for. But I would be foolish not to think that some of us are struggling with that temptation or have already done so in this moment. Listen, I understand you have a list of excuses a mile high why you can't put Sabbath keeping into practice. I know some of you in this room, you are unemployed or underemployed and you would give anything to have the workload that others of us have in this room. Some of you are in retirement or you're headed towards retirement soon and you have no idea what this means for you. Others of you literally right now are in a season where you're risking your marriage, your friendships and your physical health because you refuse to practice the thing God created you to do. Again, I wanna plead with you, Your work is super important, but it's not as important as you and your soul. You remember what? I think Jesus had something like this in mind when he said, you can give up the whole world. You can go for the whole world. But if you do, you may have to forfeit your soul. And he said, what good is it to get everything that they say you should shoot for? And in the end, lose your soul. If you're in a season where you're getting close to doing so, ask for help. Ask for a sabbatical. Take a new job. I know they're scarce. We've covered that. But you and your soul are more important than what you'll ever produce. And remember this. Rest actually is how we become a follower of Jesus, and and it's how we remain one. Here's from Hebrews 4, 9 and 10, and we'll move into communion time from here. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10 says this. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his The way we enter this relationship with Jesus is based on work, but it's not based on any of our work. It's based on His. And what we do is we rest in what He accomplished for us. In a moment, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up, and we're going to enter into another time of worship. And prayer and communion will be a part of this. And I want you to, as I give you instructions for communion, I want to do so through the symbolic nature of this as well. So in a moment, we'll sing and pray, um, confess your sins to God privately. And then when you're ready, as a follower of Jesus, to take the elements, you'll just get up from your seat. You'll make a line on this wall, and you'll come through the line. And and as you do, you're going to, to... Take a piece of bread, which represents the body of Jesus that was broken for you. That's about his work, not yours. You're going to dip it in the cup that represents his blood that was poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Again, about your work? Mm -mm. About his. And so what I want us to do, maybe in a new way, we've never done it this morning, is to participate at the communion table through the lens of rest. Through the lens of rest. Communion table, it represents your redemption. It represents your salvation. It represents the forgiveness of your sins, but it doesn't represent any, any, any of your work. And until you and I reach a place where we can remember constantly that it's the work of Jesus, that when he said it is finished, it meant that we can rest in it. And if you're unable to rest physically, there's a very good correlation, in my opinion, that many of us are also unable to rest spiritually. And though you hear us say your identity is not based on what you do for God, some of you are living as though you've got to do more and more and more so he'll finally accept you and let you in. And what we need to do this morning is be reminded, as we taste and eat, be reminded that if we don't rest, we're not in the kingdom. And if we don't keep resting, we won't remain headed in the direction of becoming a follower who's maturing in their relationship with Jesus like he intends. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so tired of giving talks about rest and the Sabbath that I'm not putting into practice in my own life. God, before we can even move into participating and keeping the Sabbath, God, some of us need to just um, symbolically sense in our spirits this morning that you are taking the weight and the pressure off. God, we feel so responsible, and we should be for some things, but God, we feel like we've got to make sure our kids turn out perfect. We've got to make sure our marriages turn out perfect. We've got to make sure the company does everything it's supposed to do. And God, we have roles to play in all of these realms, but God, we cannot hold it up and we cannot hold it together. But you are more than capable and you're more than willing to do so. God, I pray that we would be full of people in this epic community who work hard, who live out the mission and purpose you've given to our lives. But God, may we work from our rest. May we not burn out quickly so that we could have a long-term impact here as a church in San Francisco and around the world. God, would you help us to embrace the way you created us? And may we not bemoan it. May we be satisfied with how you've made us. Jesus, as we enter into this time around your table, We recognize that you have accomplished for us what our effort and earnings never could. You have made a way for us to have forgiveness of sin, for us to be considered righteous, and to be called sons and daughters of the king. We rest in that today. And we'll go out and we'll keep talking about purpose and mission. But God, may our purpose and our mission flow from resting in who gives us our identity. God, there's some things that need to be restored in hearts and lives and calendars right now this week. I pray that you would give us the courage to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship and respond.